So it's Joshua chapter 2, verses 4 to 21. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the man came to me, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, and you may catch up with them. But she had taken them to the roof and hidden them under the stacks of flax she had laid on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road um, that leads to the fords of Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down to go to sleep at night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who have lived in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings, kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my, mother, of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house that she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you there. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear, swear will not be binding to us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord to the window through which you have let us down. And unless you have been brought, unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all of your family into the house, if anyone goes outside the house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. On his own head, we will not be responsible. As far as any, for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head. And if a hand is laid on, if a hand is laid on him. But if I tell you what, if if you sorry, but if you tell what we are what we are doing, we will we'll be released from the oath that, um, the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window and they all lived happily ever after. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> or did they? Let's find out. <laughs> I think a round of applause for H getting through now. Well done. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is the second, as Nick said, in our series, Mythbusters. I quite like that. The new Ghostbusters film is out. It's women busting ghosts, which I think is quite empowering. Anyone seen it yet? Okay, a couple of you. Oh, yes, a couple of... Uh, well, we're looking at Mythbusters, and uh, we're looking at the myths that get into our thinking, that creep into the way that we approach everyday life. And you may say today, well, I'm a Christian, I don't believe in myths, I believe in truth, but it's very difficult for us sometimes to unpick the myths that have got kind of almost imperceptibly into the way that we approach our lives. And the second myth that we're looking at is the myth that your life won't amount to anything. And very often that 
core belief can somehow be in all of us. It can be there from very young age, maybe, when something was spoken over us, when we heard something said, when we read something written about us that diminished us in some way, that actually is something that we still carry as we go through life. And you may say, well, I, I don't think that. I don't think that's true. I think I've laid all of that down. I think that's uh, in my past now. But I know for myself that actually sometimes, right out of the blue, I'll have a strong reaction to something. And I think that seems almost improportionately strong to what has happened. And if that is going on, sometimes we need to look below the surface and think, what is it in my past? What is it in my understanding of who God is and who I am that makes us react in that way? Interestingly enough, um, there's the chaplain for the Olympics going for the UK team. Her name is Julia Wilkinson and uh, she's new to the post. She's come in through Christians in Sport and her work with them and she's never done it before so she's been looking for advice as she supports the athletes as they go to Rio and as they start to compete and uh, the training that she's been given is interesting. Uh, the guy who did it before her said it will be like attending seven funerals and one wedding, supporting that team because of the level of distress around failure that happens. That actually, if they make a false start, if a runner makes a false start or does a false jump, all that they want to do with the chaplain, he said, is keep on looking at the footage of it. Keep on watching it, almost torturing themselves, if you like, with the failure on the screen. And obviously there, they get it projected all across the world, so very, very hard. But nevertheless, true for us, I think, that sometimes we have tapes in our minds, whether that's audible or visual, that we replay that says you're a failure, you're stuck, you're no good at this, you're in the wrong job, you're the wrong marriage, you're in the wrong relationship, you're the wrong person to lead a life group, you're the wrong person, whatever that is. And Rahab is a fantastic inspiration and encouragement to us today. She was the wrong gender, let's be honest, in that day she was for her time. She was in the wrong city, a city at the time, Jericho, that had actually been labelled incredibly affluent yet incredibly corrupt. She was doing the wrong job. She was a harlot. Many commentaries have tried to get around that, but nevertheless, that's what she did. That was her job. She was a prostitute. And we don't even know the relationship with the spies when they came into her home. We can interpret that many ways. But one thing we are sure of, that the labels she will have put on herself will be harlot, will be wrong place, wrong person, wrong time, wrong city. And yet in God's economy, she was the right person, in the right place, at the right time. So even the labels that the world would have known about her and that she would definitely have known about herself, actually in God's economy are reversed to say, no, you are my precious child. I will use your gift of kindness, your gift of hospitality, the fact that you are winsome, the fact that you are welcoming. I will use that in an incredible way to influence the whole of history. 
Does that encourage us today? It certainly does me. When we feel like we're the wrong person for the job, when we feel like actually our own inadequacy, all we can see, that actually God says, no, you are the right person here today. You are the right person in the roles that you're in. He speaks that over you today, whatever has been said of you. And there'll be things that have said over us. I remember my school reports, some of them very loving, some of them not so good. You know, some of you remember that I had one that said, charm does not make up for lost opportunities. (laughs) I think that might be on my gravestone somewhere, I don't know. Um, But nevertheless, true in many ways of me, true in many ways, but I heard it and I just thought, oh, lost opportunities, that's the only bit I hear. I didn't hear the charming bit. I heard, what what opportunities does my school think I'm losing? Probably because I was talking too much, I don't know, possibly. But we will remember things. That was years and years ago, but I remember it. And whether it was a conversation that you heard, you'll never be as good as your brother, you'll never amount to what your sister can do. In the kingdom, as we have with Rahab, we have an opportunity to say, God, redeem even that. Redeem even that situation for good. Rahab was a rescuer. We just heard read that she rescued the spies. She rescued the people in order to be rescued herself. That actually she, in Joshua chapter 6, is mentioned, and it's quite weird actually, it says that she still lives among the people today. Now that's not strictly true, I hope, otherwise she's the oldest person in Christendom. But her legacy lives on today. And there is a legacy for your life. There is an eternal perspective on your life, whoever you are today, that God says your life counts for eternity. That actually you matter. The atmosphere that you work in, the sphere that you work in, has an atmosphere that you create. The very word atmosphere, if you break it down, the sphere that you influence is the one thing. Atmos means breathe into, influence or blow up. So the sphere that you're in, whether it's finance, whether it's family, whatever it is, you going into it every day, wherever it is, means that you carry the atmosphere. You blow the presence of God into that. You carry the kingdom with you into that in living distinctively and living differently. And so Rahab, with her gift of hesed, her gift of kindness, Her gift of hospitality becomes a way to grow the kingdom of God. That actually she goes on to marry one of the spies, she goes on to have a child, and actually his name is Boaz, who marries to Ruth, who the legacy and the lineage of David leading to Jesus. So Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot, actually is part of the redemption of the whole of humanity. That's God's economy. We are unlikely heroes, aren't we? Does it ever feel like that? And yet, that's how God wants us. The book of the, the, the word of God is full of unlikely heroes, full of people who count themselves out. Many times in scripture, even Hebrews, Hebrews 11, we have Rahab mentioned, even Joshua doesn't make it into the list of faithful heroes, but Rahab does, Rahab's there. Interestingly, she's still referred to as the harlot, which irks me slightly. I feel she left that behind, but maybe just to actually explain who she once was. I was at uh, Hillsong's conference in London on Friday night, and uh, we heard from the new leader of one of their congregations, a huge congregation growing in Buenos Aires, and uh, an amazing guy, his name is Chris Gomez, and uh, he's been chosen to be the church leader, he and his wife and family, to plant out there. 
And he's hugely successful in human terms. It's almost like they can't stop the church from growing. And I was just looking at him thinking, wow, you know, what an amazing guy, what passion. And he said, I want to just stop and tell you where I came from. He said, I met with Jesus on my third overdose. He said, I was dying. I was leaning on what he called the alabaster throne. I think we all know what that is. And he was totally and utterly out on drugs. And he thought on his third overdose, he thought, this is the moment I'm actually going to die. I've done it this time. And a week before, a young girl had said to him, he was only young himself, a young girl had said to him, Jesus has saved my life. Jesus has saved my life. And as he lay there, draped over the alabaster throne or whatever, that came into his mind. And he said, Jesus, help me, save me. If you can save her, save me now. And he says, what was extraordinary is that the effects of all the drugs he had taken were gone. And he got up and he thought, I'm coherent. I can walk, I can move. And he went home to a mother who had given her life to Jesus just three weeks before. And she said, do you know, son, in her tears, when he said he'd given his life to Jesus, she said, I am on the seventh day of a seven-day fast for you, my son, because of his addiction. She was on her seventh day. Well, I don't know if that's you, but if I'd been fasting for seven days and then I knew that my son was out clubbing, probably off his head somewhere, I'd be about to give up, wouldn't you? And yet that news came to her and they wept together that actually he could have been labelled addict, no hoper, (coughs) suicidal, whatever. (coughs) But actually, he came through to now be leading one of the fastest growing churches, Hillsong's Buenos Aires. Incredible. Even when Hillsong said they would plant there, people said, you're crazy. It won't work. The kind of format that we have won't work. And yet they're seeing thousands of people come to Christ. Amazing. And he says he still has those moments when he thinks, how did I get here from where I started off? But actually, he was the right person in the right place at the right time in God's economy, even though in human terms, it must have felt very different. I want to say to you today, there is more in you than you can imagine. Whatever time of life you're at, there is opportunity to grow the kingdom where you are, to be the atmos in your atmosphere, to be the one that actually makes a difference. We heard from a guy this week uh, who's the head of Genistar, who's one of the biggest finance um, advisors really in the world. And he started out in four different foster homes. And on his fifth attempt, he actually chose his own foster home because no one would have him. And he rang his Cub Scout master and said, I'm wondering if you would foster me. He was so poor, so broken. At the age of 12 and a half, he tried to take his own life. And yet, here he is, head of one of the biggest organizations influencing our world. And he stood there and he said, it's a privilege for me to be able to help many people get out of debt, do the brilliant work that our money advice team do here, uh, do it across the world, because he knows what it's like to be destitute. If you like, his plight, his start, his false start, his glitch, has become part of a global influence. And that's true for you and I. Whatever our bad start, our false start, whatever's happened to you even this week that makes you think, actually, I'm failing here, I'm stuck, I'm in a position where I can't get out. Rahab's story tells us that actually someone who was in a wrong profession 
led to the legacy that actually rescued the whole of humanity. Her hesed, the kindness of God, was actually in her heart already. And you and I have friends. We know that we have beautiful friends who don't yet know Jesus, who have this, who have the kindness of God, don't we? You know, I've got friends who are extraordinarily kind to me who don't yet know the source of that kindness, the hesed, the God, the living God, that actually our world needs more than ever before more than ever before. Uh, My dad, as you know, is 88 with Parkinson's disease, with three carers coming every day, different carers. He gets very confused as to who's coming when. He's got a list written out every day. Uh, He finds it very difficult to speak. We can't hear him. He can't really tell sometimes what we're saying. And yet he said to me last time I was home, he said, my mission field has changed, Judy. I've realized it's my carers that actually the people that he is influencing, a man who can't walk, can't speak really, is listening to women who come in and say, my lives are broken. He said, even this week, one of them's been evicted. She and her son have been evicted and I'm praying for her. We can never count ourselves out of the beautiful work that God's doing for his kingdom. Whatever age we are, whatever stage we are, however well-resourced we are, that is the kingdom. The thief on the cross in, the, in Luke is an amazing example of someone, again, who's labelled criminal. He was dying a criminal death next to Jesus. And you might say, well, too late for him then, too late for him. But he cries out to Jesus, even on the cross, and actually says, you know, speak for me when you reach your father in paradise. And he says, you will be there. Jesus says to him, you will join me today in paradise. Who's the one person that we know is in heaven other than Jesus? The thief on the cross. We know it. So surely in all of our failings, in all of our messes, we must be able to trust that God will and can redeem. If he could do that with Rahab the prostitute, if he can do that with a thief, if he can do that with Moses, a murderer, he can do that with you and I. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome. It's quite simple, isn't it? Do you love that about God? You know, we, we perhaps make it far more difficult than it actually is. What she remembered for in Hebrews 11, friendly welcome. What can we do here in this place as we've been encouraged today? Friendly welcome. All of us have the capacity to invite someone. All of us. And actually who you invite will be different to who I invite. That actually the way that God has made you is profoundly impacting for a person that won't be the same for me that there's a distribution of all of who we are. John Ortberg says, spiritual greatness has nothing to do with being greater than others. It has everything to do with being as great as each of us can be. Comparison kills spiritual growth. Don't we know that's true? You know, those of you who are runners or who know about running in lane, we know that we lose pace by looking to the left, looking to the right, or looking behind. But actually, as we keep our eyes fixed, on the eternal perspective of all that we are doing, we gain pace. And I felt as I was praying for us today that there's a real sense that maybe some of us just feel stuck. Maybe we just feel stuck in where we're at, uh, in in what we're doing. And um, there's something that uh, the Talmud, uh, that the Jews read, uh, the scriptures that they read, that says, every blade of grass has an angel bending over it, whispering, grow, grow. Isn't that beautiful? And Paul says that in Christ, the whole redeemed community that is us grows and builds itself up in love. 
And I feel for every one of us that there is a growth that God wants to perhaps even re-begin or even start for the first time in us today. That as we respond, there is a real cry to God. Let me not be stuck. Let me keep moving forwards so that actually we live out his legacy here on earth. Not because we're special, not because we're so amazing as we heard last week. In many ways, we're very ordinary. But we have an extraordinary God who has placed us in a position where no one else is to do what no one else can uh, through him. Ben Palfant, who wrote uh, a book, A Little Cup of Darkness, where, uh, sorry, A Little Cup of Light, not darkness. Uh, <laughs> that's the sequel, I don't know, it hasn't come out yet. Um, and, and he talks about a brain disease that, that starts to really destroy him. And he, he thinks, well, is this a test? What, what is this? What is, what is God saying to me? And he says this, the very hope of the gospel reflects directly on our ability to imagine a world in which suffering serves as a soil from which resurrection springs. Little did I know that God was not testing my faith in order to find out its quality. I was the one who had not measured its buoyancy. I knew not of its durability, nor of the power of its wing. But actually, we have no idea of the resource and the resilience that is in us until we're put in the hot water of suffering. We've no idea of the resurrection power that we can access until we're in a place of darkness and despair. Just as uh, uh, Chris was when he was in that third overdose situation and God spoke to him, spoke words of redemption over him as he can do for us. Brené Brown has written a brilliant book. Uh, she studies vulnerability. I recommend her TED Talks. Uh, she's an incredible woman. And she says this, there is no greater threat to the critics and cynics and fear mongers than those of us who are willing to fall because we have learned how to rise. With skimmed knees and bruised hearts, we choose owning our stories of struggle over hiding, over hustling, over pretending. We craft love from heartbreak, compassion from shame, grace from disappointment, courage from failure. There's something of the kingdom in that for me. I'm not quite sure where she is on her faith journey. She says some amazing things. But that is incredible to me. That the things, the false starts when we go back to the beginning, the trip-ups, the things that actually we'd rather were hidden, are actually all part of God's redemption plan. That actually just as Rahab, with her scarlet rope, said there was something she recognized, that God was at work. She said, I've heard of you. I've heard of this God that parted the sea. I've heard that your God is able and I trust in him. And as she said that she would put her trust in him, she obeyed. And as she did that, she put her rope of hope, her scarlet rope outside to show that she was trusting in the promises of God. And that scarlet rope represents for us now the blood of Jesus Christ that died that said you are enough, you were always enough, you were always worth me dying for. And every single one of us here, in a way, can have our rope of hope, our scarlet rope that says, as for me and my life and my household, with all my stuff-ups, with all my messes, things done to us, things that we've done ourselves, I hold on to that rope. And I say, just as you redeemed Rahab, redeem me, redeem my life. Uh, and that is his plan. He has a rescue plan for us. And the beautiful thing is, he has a rescue plan to get us out of the trouble we're in, but he also has a plan to use us to rescue his world. 
every single one of us. And there was no more time than this for us to step up and actually say we will be part of his kingdom light. We will be part of his redemption story across this city. Who are we going to invite over the summer who can come and taste this redemption, who can learn to sing this redemption song? If you think of Chris in his overdose attempt, what came to him was a phrase of a friend who had just said, Jesus has saved my life. It came to him in God's economy. He cried out and he found faith and he's now bringing many, many people to faith all over the world uh, in an incredible way. Let's just be quiet uh, and uh, I think we're going to have a song in a moment to respond. I'd just like to uh, have some quiet with us and I will read something to us. If you have courage to make changes in your life, something can happen in your soul. The Spirit will give you courage. If you keep asking in the adversity, he will bring courage. The reality is that God is a redemptive God. The chance to trust God when trusting isn't easy is wide open. The prospect for modeling hope for a hope-needy world is trending upwards. The possibility of a storm-proof faith is always going up. This is so because truth remains unchanged. God remains in control. He is sovereign. Grace wins over sin. The Bible stands firm. Heaven's mercies spring up every morning. And the cross still testifies to the power of love. The tomb is still empty. And the kingdom that Jesus has announced is still expanding through you and through me. Lord, we long to be people that bring your atmosphere, that in the spheres of influence across this church, we would be your atmos, your breath, your life. That where we feel we're the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time, you speak to us and say, you are my right person because I've put my grace, my power, my vision, my wisdom in you. Lord, help us to eradicate daily, to lay down those tapes that have been with us too long and to hear the truth that we are loved, that we can grow, that we are redeemed and that you've chosen us for part of your rescue for all of humanity. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus, amazed by your grace. Amen.